Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. I am your gracious and humble host, Jonathan Wiegand, back behind the golden OPP microphone. The Dr. Dilithium is in, dreaming across the fruited plains known as the Alpha Quadrant with half my brain tied behind my back, just to make it fair. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast today, everybody. And yes, we're going to keep this enterprise train rolling because we've got faith of the heart and I know... I'm going where my heart will take me. <laughs> Can we be honest? That is probably like one of the cheesiest, terribly written opening songs, opening lines in all of sci I'll just put that out there. But um, anyway, yeah, today, like I mentioned, we're going to be going more like behind the scenes drama. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we, we talked about the uh, the issues and the drama dealing with corporate meddling and why Enterprise really never had the chance to get like be successful and what the fourth season would have looked like and all that. So if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that. It's a great episode too, if you're a big fan of enterprise. And I mean, from what I've talked about to a couple of fans, like I get tattooed. I have, I have several tattoos <laughs> and I'm working on a sleeve right now. And, um, that my tattoo artist is a big sci-fi trekkie kind of guy. And he was like, yeah, man, like I'm just not never even really watched enterprise. Only thing I've heard about it is that it's kind of terrible I'm like, you are correct. <laughs> Just kidding. It kind of has a cult following to it. Like, if you love it, you really love it. And if you hate it, you you kind of don't like it. <laughs> so, um, but that's okay. Um, there are some interesting threads about this um, show that it was like, okay, this is definitely podcast episode worthy. Um, especially like how the Vulcans were handled, how T'Pol was handled. Plus, there's this 9-11 issue that they had to deal with because or I shouldn't say issue uh fix that in post 9-11 tragedy that the show had to like work around and and we'll we'll cover that in this episode so definitely interesting stuff even if you're not a giant fan of the of the series you can definitely be like okay that's a good little fun tidbit to know about Star Trek that the average bear might not know and who knows you may win a uh trivia contest off of some of these fun facts so uh Anyway, all right, Luna, let's light this candle. So one of the most polarizing characters in the show is T'Pol, who's played by Jolene Balak. Am I saying that right name, Balak, or is it my Appalachia education? Okay, Luna's, okay, so it's right. (laughs) Um, She's definitely um, most known for the sex appeal without any character so think seven of nine but no good writing um and it was literally a hail mary um i know i mentioned that last um episode talking about how they were trying to uh save the series a little bit normally we don't have maybe with the exception of maybe robert beltrain normally we don't have star trek people who kind of make a living off of being on star trek (laughs) you know what i mean like they do podcasts they do circuits they do um a lot of fan stuff so you normally don't have people criticize their character outright but Balak is one of those 
she just didn't like how T'Pol or the Vulcans and the entire show was handled. The very beginning of the series, when she landed the part, she was super excited. She said in an interview, she's like, oh, like, this is like Spock. I'm going to be like the female Spock. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And then, um, no, that's not the case at all. As she says so poignantly, you can't take to Paul and say, okay, you're a Vulcan and take away the Vulcan characteristics. Um, you might as well clip the ears. Doesn't that sound a little derogatory? To Vulcans, I mean, like clip the ears, like either way, I don't know. And I mean, she she definitely didn't like, and we'll get into this further, how she was portrayed and basically just used as a sex symbol, nothing more. And I mean, she has a lot of points. Like T'Pol is not the typical Vulcan. She does not control emotions, even though she talks about it a lot. And I hated that whole Vulcan healing weird massage thing with Trip, and that's how they bring in the romantic. Every time I rewatch the series, I'm like, here we go. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way too. Um, it's just not, again, not some of the best. So some of her complaints are warranted. They've been better if she was just a regular human as opposed to a Vulcan, but we'll get into this later why they had to have the Vulcans tied in um, onto the ship for that continuing um, conflict that we see with Archer. And speaking of Archer and the Vulcans, this leads to another point is that Archer was rewritten <laughs> to be more offensive towards the Vulcans. So in the early stages of the series, um, Archer and many other crew members had some fairly, like, pretty racist views about the Vulcans. And they're pretty, like, unabashedly, like, just speak it. <laughs> um, the unfamiliarity with the Vulcans and the tension between the humans and the Vulcans, I mean, that was a major undertone of the first, like, couple seasons, but it didn't have to be that way. Um, there was a draft of a backstory for Archer that would have made him, like, the appropriate cultured, understanding captain that normally is at the helm of Star Trek series, you know? Like, somebody that's like, hey, we're open all life and etc. but since this is kind of off the ground, let's make him a little racist. And even in this back plot... Um, in this version, Archer actually spent a year on Vulcan when he was younger, um, and he already kind of met and had some relationship with T'Pol, which I think would have been a lot more interesting to have that going through the show, kind of that romantic undertone, because there's a couple times they even, like, blink their eyes with it, and I don't know if the writers meant to do that or not, but they were like, oh, like, I remember the the scene he's in the cabin, he's like, oh, well, if we... We can't be in a relationship. It's bad protocol, blah, 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 for the Federation. Or, sorry, not the Federation, but for uh, but for Starfleet. And so, I mean, the writers definitely had that undertone, the romantic undertones. But instead, they wanted to go with the more racist um, version of Archer, who then have to overcome his prejudices during the series. And he eventually does. He eventually becomes a big defender of Vulcan, um, especially when dealing with uh, the Andorians the whole spy satellite in the sanctuary. I mean, I didn't like that he turned out to be that way, but it's, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's the kind of the backstory that we're left with. Um, but it is super, very heavy handed. Also with Archer, which is kind of nuts to me is that the end of the third season, moving on to our next point. So at the end of the third season, the network actually wanted Archer to be killed and replaced. Again, they were throwing Hail Mary bombs to try to make the uh, the show relevant and the ratings hit. So they're like, let's kill the captain. We're like, um, 
okay. <laughs> and they the network suggested Enterprise change things up by killing off the captain, bringing a new one on, and Brandon Braga explained um, in direct quote, they suggested killing Captain Archer in the final Zindi episode, saving Earth and finding a new captain, a young, exciting captain. Brick was extremely against it, um, Braga says, because he loves Scott Bakula, and if you kill your captain, you're basically admitting that your show doesn't work on such a profound level, and I couldn't agree more when you take out your freaking lead and say, no, we're going to redo everything. But producer Manny Cotto was tempted and did suggest it several times at the end of the season three write-up. He added, I was in the room with Rick and he and I were discussing Bakula dying. And I got to admit, I love Bakula. I don't think, I think it was an interesting concept. It seemed like a great batch of dramatic possibilities, but ultimately it was the right decision not to kill Scott. And I was like, that would have ruined the show like outright. Um, Especially since it only had one more season left. So you basically kill the captain and then half the season you're like being introduced as new captain there's no emotional connection to him at all and then the show ends it definitely would have created a very dark timeline um much kind of like how discovery run off the hill um killed captain giorgio off maybe this is how they thought that they're like hey this is a great start off you can it's a first star trek show that you don't have about a captain with discovery so the first thing we're gonna do is kill our captain so we instantly have that um, conflict and resolution arc that we need for the for Michael Burnham. And so it's like, it can be done, but if the show is always a darker timeline, like Discovery, that's fine. But not like, not, not like Enterprise, not just to bring that in randomly. Um, the man had a beagle. Come on. The dog's going to be, Who, who's taking care of the dog? You going to let the Vulcan do it? I don't think so, because everybody's racist. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, and speaking of darker timeline, this is actually one of the very dark, um, things to hit happen in all of sci-fi. So season three becomes incredibly dark and they did it for a post 9-11 parallel in the show. So if you've never knew that before, you instantly think like, okay, the attack on Florida that killed like 8 million people and the grief and the response and the anger that we see in season three is almost to me like a post 9-11 parallel. When I heard that, I was like, oh, they definitely did that on purpose. Because um, I don't know if, if any of my listeners here remember, I'm a mid, I'm not middle-aged, am I? No, I'm in my 30s. That's not middle-aged. Who knows? I was in seventh grade when 9-11 happened. And most people don't know, is like the day of 9-11 and the day after, they didn't show any TV programs. It, everything was new. So it's like Disney owned like ABC and which was like at the time, like ABC family and everybody just showed the news or Fox owned a bunch of other channels. So every kind of subsidiary channel just played the news. And then um, it was really weird because then when shows started coming back over the next few days, it was always had like this scrolling thing at the bottom saying, Hey, we, we our hearts break for the tragedy of nine 11. And it was on just continual as programs were showing so that's kind of the mindset these writers were in if you weren't around in September 2001. So the nation was definitely, and the world was definitely affected. So it makes sense that art is affected by that. And speaking about season three, they had many episodes that handled terrorism, including um, episodes like Shadows of the Pajem, Detained, Desert Crossing. And I mean, the entire Zindi conflict in season three, especially the episode um, Chosen Realm, geez, 
And then in 2020, on the anniversary of Star Trek, cast members from shows were getting together and and, and like talking about it. And even Will Wheaton hosted this um, Star Trek Enterprise panel, and he asked the cast about how 9-11 impacted the show. And Bakula pretty much indicated in that discussion, it, it took a while for the writers to come to grips with the events. And like most most people and most Americans, they were just trying to process it. But after they were kind of dealing with what happened and grieving, the writers were ready to tackle the impact of 9-11 and then how that changed season three in Star Trek from a story perspective. And I mean, Bakula, this is a great quote by Bakula. It says, it gave the Enterprise characters a sense of purpose. I didn't feel like, to be honest, we'd gotten out of the gate. And that's kind of true. Um, <laughs> um, at the very beginning, first couple seasons, there's there's no purpose. They're just kind of like, let's go exploring and see what we can get into, which is fine. But if you're making it a, a serial show, not episodic, it's kind of like, okay, <laughs> um, it can be difficult, especially with the Zindi's weapon. And if you don't know, so the Zindi, this bug alien race, take this uh, small, I guess like, it's not a cube, that's Borg. Um, it's this like small circle and they go to, to Earth and they test out their weapon and they put this huge like uh, laser beam through Florida, this straight line through Florida and it kills about like 8 million people and then it also kills um, Lieutenant Tucker's sister. So there's a direct grief on the show that is there for um, the, whole, the whole series. And, um, and even in, I know... Um, the guy, Connie or trainer who plays Trip Tucker says in an interview, um, right or wrong. I think season three was a thinly veiled response to nine 11. I feel like they were given an opportunity and they were incredibly affected by that. And they're happy with what they did. So yeah, it definitely makes sense. A lot of them lived in New York city or were from Pennsylvania on the show and the crew. So it, it, people will say, well, that's kind of, heavy-handed and it's like well trek has always done that like look at the original series how they handled um vietnam race relations there's always been a commentary on the real world and so for for art or for star trek in this case to kind of show that in a very poignant way where you can see characters going through grief going through um loss i think it's as the nation was i think that's totally reasonable and it's probably honestly some of the best writing of the show in season three. But that's just the way it is, my friends, sadly. So going to a completely different topic, <laughs> I can't believe like when I'm going through like my show notes, I was like, why did I put this right after the, the 9-11 topic? But um, so one of the major things I mentioned with Jolene Bullock and T'Pol is that they hail married and try to get this um, sexy character out with no writing at all whatsoever in season three when the ratings were dropping. So in the midst of like the serious dark undertone, they're like the producers and the costume designers were like, mm, we need to Paul to have a lot more cleavage. Yeah. <laughs> because we're like, Oh, why? It's like, Oh, is it like, because she's um, going on different adventures or is it like, there's a reason behind it? It's like, no, no, she's no longer Paul, the part of the, the Vulcan um, high command. So we're just going to change her uniform. Oh, does she get a uniform like everybody else? No. Why? No reason given. I mean, even Braga claimed the new costume was about to Paul needing a change. And um, it was like, okay, well we wanted to change, but we didn't want her to wear the same uniform. And it's like, <laughs> but I love the costume designer, um, Robert Blackman. He, in an, 
in an interview with Trek News just blatantly said, the ratings dropped, that's the Frank Real answer. So, and even Balak even criticized it even more, stating, again, she, she's hot, hot mic, hot takes. She's like, you can't substitute, and this is a family program, uh, TNA for good storytelling. You can have both, absolutely, but you can't substitute one for the other because the audience is not stupid. You can't just throw in frivolous, uncharacteristic, well, bullcrap and think it's going to help the ratings. And I was like, yeah, 100%. And that's the exact kind of the the duality between Voyager and Enterprise. A lot of people talk about this, like how T'Pol and, and Seven of Nine are treated. And it's like, I understand why why they did that with Seven of Nine, but I've talked at nauseum. It's like, yeah, but the writing was so deep and superb and like well thought out and given great arcs and it just wasn't there just to be there. Um, there was some meaning behind it. And that's kind of a shame for Balak because like she should have had that. Honestly, she deserved better from the writers. But when you're on UPN, man, you just got to do what you got to do to get ratings and um, fight for those time slots. And I mean, even people, there's been rumors that maybe they'll bring to Paul back on lower decks or strange new world, something like that to kind of give her like a little bit of redemption to be like, no, there's, this is a good character. It was just poorly handled by these writers. So maybe when I would make lower decks, maybe a little bit better. Cause then you kind of poke jabs at it or something. <laughs> but, um, I think that would be, um, I think that would be for the best as we're wrapping up here. One of the last points I have is that if you, if you pay attention on my smart, brilliant listeners because that's that's what you are if you pay attention to the star trek timeline enterprise just completely throws it out the window so usually when you write a prequel people are constrained by the events that fans know happen like for example with when the federation's first introduced to the borg or um the founding of the federation or um like the kittimer accords we know when that happens year-wise Number one, and then number two, like the events around it that happened. But no, they just threw that out the window. For example, having the Enterprise crew interact with the Borg first before Picard and Q and that and TNG, like um, there's an episode called Regeneration and Enterprise. Um, they were sent to deal with the Borg, who were attacking scientists in the Arctic. So, first off, not only did we interact with the Borg hundreds of years before TNG, but that the Borg were in the Alpha Quadrant and physically on Earth. <laughs> yeah, since Next Generation crew was super unfamiliar, it just it just again lobby lob Hail Mary to see if um, something could happen, see if something could stick, get fans interested. But like, hey, we got the Borg, come check it out, man! <laughs> it's like, no, you just need to stop pedaling. I mean, even for example. I mean, the episode did allude to the Borg in the first Contact movie and that might have created an alternate timeline that Enterprise took place in. And again, Star Trek fans be Star Trek and we'd be like, hey, it could fit. We just have to do all these literal uh, mental timeline gymnastics so it'll fit. And it's like, dude, just just no. <laughs> um, and then other fans are like, hey, maybe Archer's just really bad at writing reports. I'm like, yeah, but you just made it up or you lie or was it wasn't off the board. So again, people just, yeah, people, Star Trek fans going to start a track and try to make it work. And it doesn't, um, this is poor writing. And speaking of poor writing, as we wrap up today, um, 
Brian Braga says he regrets the series finale. So there's some um, validity to our feelings, all the Star Trek fans out there. Hey, yeah, you can regret this. Um, um, and it, and so many people are angered by it because if you didn't watch it, and um, just a recap, they basically said, okay, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to wrap up the series emotionally. We're just going to, to make the timeline fit, the founding of the Federation. Again, there are things that you can't mess up. And they're like, okay, well, it's not going to fit because we thought the series would only go six or seven years. It's only going three. So we're just going to time jump three years. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're watching, I think it's the 20th episode, you watch a 21st episode, it time jumps three years. Yep. <laughs> and um, there's no, yeah, it's just like three years later kind of thing. I mean, I think it's one thing if they were going to eventually have that, like if it went five or six seasons, you could like plan it pretty dang well. And the writing would have been really cool to see like the founding of the Federation from the very beginning. Like those first members, how they got involved with Archer. And I mean, you kind of have that with, with uh, Andoria and Vulcan. I think it would have been really cool to see the rest. Maybe that's what the show should have been about in the first place. <laughs> yeah, so they time jumped and then making it like a lost episode of The Next Generation just felt really cold. So um, be prepared if you if you go through an Enterprise rewatch. It is not um, it is not pleasant. Well, thank you so much for listening, Luna. Let's wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we got some interesting cu- uh, stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. So don't want to ruin or spoil anything. But um, yeah, it's just going to be fun. So look out for those new episodes. Also, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and um, Facebook. I know, I mean, there's, I think I probably lost 300 followers on Twitter since Elon Musk took over. So we're still there, still posting great, funny content. But yeah, you do you, man. Like, if you don't want to be on Twitter, don't be on Twitter. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> Um, feel free to reach out. I uh, love hearing from you guys, whether it be about episode ideas or um, guests. Yeah, I mean, we've been approached a few times to have guests on the show or to be guests on other podcasts. I was like, no, I just don't I don't want to have that vibe. So um, not really into that. But as always, do not let your heart be troubled. And second star of the right, straight on till morning. <laughs>